Thank you for being here. Thank you for Word Wednesday. Amen. It's always exciting to be able to look into God's Word. Amen. So if you have your Bibles tonight, if you'll turn with me to the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John 2, and I want to, I'm going to read something different for just a minute out of John 21 if you're taking notes. So I'll redo my experiment here for a minute while you're turning there. Y'all see that? Oil and water don't mix, do they? The oil's going to rise to the top. That anointing, amen? There's got to be a distinct separation. There just does. There has to be a difference in our lives, and it has to be noticeable, amen? It has to be noticeable. That there is a difference. Amen. So I just titled this simply tonight, A Distorted View to a Heavenly Vision. A Distorted View to a Heavenly Vision. I'm sure if we're on Facebook Live, I'm sure I'll be ridiculed and hated. And I'm sure that there'll be some even here that may want to argue or say things, but I choose now not to argue with anybody. Not a debate. Um, this isn't an election. This is the gospel. It's the gospel. And so don't get mad at me. I just want to tell you what the Word of God says. That's it. We could sit down and talk, and, and there is an answer for everything, the grace of God. If we can all just take what His Word says take our opinions, if we can just take it all to the Word of God. That's all that matters. At the end of the day, what did Jesus say? What does His Word say? Can we stand on it in the Word of God? So many people are being swayed right now, especially in this world. Now listen to me. I'm I'm not saying that this virus isn't serious. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But are we going to shut the world down over it? Isn't that what the Word of God says? That in the end of days, that men's hearts will fail them for fear? That's what it says. And so what is everybody doing? Everybody's hearts are filled with fear. Everybody is afraid. I'm not telling you maybe we should have a healthy fear. But let me tell you this. What if we fear God to the measure we're fearing this sickness? We don't fear God. 
What if we feared God to this measure? What if we took the, the, the measures of faith these people are putting forth effort into? Wazi said his son is fixing to not be able to go back to college, right? They're fixing to do everything online. Do you think that wouldn't be a tactic of the enemy to quit relationships? Let everything be face-to-face. We already don't talk. You text everything. All that is tactics of the enemy. You know why a lot of people don't come to church? Because we're Facebook live. Come on now. They don't want to put forth the effort. And let me tell you something. I thank God for Facebook live. It reaches around the world. But I promise you it's nothing like being here. It's nothing like being accountable to a pastor. Amen. It's not. It's nothing like being accountable to the Holy Ghost. It's just not. We were talking the other day. You know, I can tell you this. This is, and I'm going somewhere tonight. Just stay with me. I'm going somewhere tonight. There is such a disturbed view to a heavenly vision. God's vision has not changed. God's word has not changed to fit our lives. But when we get born again, our lives should grow custom to fit his word. That is the purpose of this. But it don't always look pretty. It is painful. It hurts. It stinks at times when God's word is being worked into my heart and into my life. I believe the greatest purpose in this word, the Bible says that we are to be formed into the image of his son. Which part of that? How many of us like being called a wine-bibber and a whoremonger? How many of us like to be beaten and bloody and bruised and spit upon and wear a crown of thorns? Thank God we don't have to do all of that. But we must identify with his life. So people will do that. Why did Jesus say, I have been, I've, I've faced and I've dealt and I've taken every temptation that you will face. I, I've done that. Will you turn the air up just a little bit? I think everybody's cold. I don't want y'all to freeze on me, all right? So let's let them thaw out. Amen. Are you cold, brother? Marcus was looking at me. So, you know, there's nothing like, I mean, the enemy. This is all tactics of the enemy to put fear in us, to get in the middle of relationships. If Let me just say this and why I'm here. If you've ever got an issue with somebody that you need to make wrongs right, don't text them. Call them on the phone and say, can we meet? Let's be big boys and big girls. Amen. Amen. We don't wear diapers. Amen. We're grown-ups. So, you know what? Does it, is that always easy? No. Do any of us like to meet? No. But is that what men and women of God do? Yes. Yes, it is. And so we don't text. Oh, when I've got issues. Amen. That's not what we do. That's not godly. All right? So we better move on from there. But let me tell you, God's word is still God's word. Amen. And I'm just going to pastor you a little bit tonight. Is that all right? Amen. We're going to pastor some tonight. So I just, here's what the enemy wants is to give us a distorted view to a heavenly vision. And here's the thing. The closer we get to the return of Christ, is it not going to grow greater? The Bible speaks of a darkness and even gross darkness. And so here's what the enemy wants. Now, I'm not using, this is when Jesus appears in Galilee in John 21. 
But I relate this to the coming of Christ. You know, here we are. You know, they're so distraught at what just happened and took place on the cross. Now Peter, all he knows to do is to take his 11 friends and go back fishing. And so that's what they do. They, they go back fishing. He goes back to his old ways. And now, isn't that what the enemy is trying to get all of us to do right now? Probably greater than ever because it's too hard. We don't understand what's going on. They were confused. They were hurt. They were broken. Their, 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 their friend, he just washed their feet. I mean, I'm talking about some of them were so close. And here, I mean, the mass confusion. Can you imagine just, I mean, all everything that is going on. And now here Jesus comes in John 21, verse 3, and said, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Isn't that the story of our life? When we go back to our old ways, you come up empty every time. That's the story of our life. That's what happens every time. We're empty. It's dark. Verse 4, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Can I tell you, that's a distorted view of a heavenly vision. Here is Jesus, risen from the dead, standing on the seashore. That sounds like a heavenly vision to me, don't it? But what they allowed some things to distort their view. And some of us here tonight have allowed things to distort our view of a heavenly vision. Some of us here tonight, under the sound of my voice, Jesus has showed back up to the seashore when you didn't even deserve it. He could have let some of us just keep on right on fishing because didn't they learn something the first time I called them from there? How many times did he come to Peter? Peter walked on the boat. If it is you, tell me to come. Well, come, Peter, it's me. And Peter came. He saw Jesus, but now he don't even know who it is. Some of us have a distorted view of a heavenly vision. Many of us do, and this is the times that we're living in. I can tell you that the enemy is working very hard to get us to go back fishing. He's doing everything that he can do to get us to live an empty life. But Jesus shows up. And so let's move now to John chapter 2. A distorted view to a heavenly vision. This is the first recorded miracle of Jesus' ministry. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he said unto you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servant which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then 
that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine unto now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help me. Jesus, I pray that the Holy Ghost would just push over the wall that is deflected against your word being preached tonight in this house. Lord, I pray for liberty in the Holy Ghost. I pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost that breaks every yoke would just be made manifest right now at the sound, God, that your spirit would just begin to move, God. I pray as we begin to declare your word, God, I pray that anointing would, would break the yoke, God. Lord, we need your help tonight, God. I pray that the spirit of confusion would leave right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that confusion would be gone. I pray for enemy, any attack that the enemy would desire to bring in this house tonight, God. Lord, I know even now that the enemy is trying to bring mixture in this house, but it must go in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray and I ask for your help, God. Lord, I feel the attack in my mind, but Lord, I know that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And so God, tonight I proclaim in the name of Jesus that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. And tonight the enemy is placed under my feet, God, and you have given me victory for the finished work of the cross of Calvary. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. I just had to get the devil off me because I feel a resistance tonight in this house. Amen. I'm not saying it's anybody but I'm telling you hell is playing in my mind. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about a distorted view to a heavenly vision. And I can tell you that we're living in a time and in an hour in the church where there is such a mixture that the church has allowed the world to creep right into the church. Amen. I said there is a mixture. And I believe that I had a revelation yesterday that the Holy Ghost came. And he said this is one of the principles and reasons why Jesus Christ Christ performed his first miracle and he turned water into wine. Are you still with me? Let me tell you what Jesus told me yesterday. He said, Jared, when I turned this water into wine, he said it wasn't a watery wine or a whiny water. He said it was a brand new substance altogether and there was no mixture in it at all. Let me tell you, whenever the water became wine, there was no question if it what it was. Are you hearing me? I said they knew there was water in them pots in the beginning but the moment Jesus told them men to draw out of that water and they placed it on the table they knew immediately by what it smelled like, by what it tasted like and by what it looked like. Let me tell you whenever you get born again, Galatians 2.20 said that the old has come and the new has come. I'm the old is gone and the new has come. I'm telling you when we get born again I can tell you that I become a new creature. All things in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, the world wants to mix in the church. Oh, they condemn me. No, we didn't condemn you. You were convicted and you walked out the door and blamed it on the preacher because you didn't want to get right. Hallelujah. Let me tell you the mixture that the world has brought into the church and we've allowed it. We don't want to hurt nobody's feelings anymore. Well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Well, I didn't mean to put condemnation on you. No, you were condemned because you're in sin. You were condemned because you're in sin. Let me tell you what, the Holy Ghost don't condemn me. Now he convicts me now. 
I said, he convicts me now. He don't condemn me. If I'm in condemnation, I probably need to check why I'm in condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You may try to ask yourself which way you're walking. I said you may need to ask yourself which way you're walking. You're walking in the flesh or the Spirit. And so here we are. We don't preach on stuff like this now in the church because I'm, I'm condemning or hurting people. So let's just tone it down a little bit and let's just invite the world in a little bit more. That's the problem. We've watered it down. We've watered it down. There is no noticeable difference by the way it smells. Let me tell you what. I, I, I used this not long ago. Hallelujah. I used this not long ago in marriage class, and I wanted, not real wine, but I wanted to get the, the, the fake wine. You know what I'm talking about, the juice or whatever it is. And I, I wanted to blindfold people. And I said, I guarantee you, that if you take a blindfold and you put wine, even if it's alcoholic wine, you don't drink it, whatever you want to do, I guarantee you, you'll smell it and you know it's not water. You taste it, you'll know it's not water. You see it, you'll know it's not water. But can I tell you, is there a noticeable difference to the substance of the church and the world today? I can tell you we look a lot the same. We smell a lot the same. Are you hearing me? And you know what? We taste a lot the same. I said we taste a lot the same. Let me tell you, Sister Stacy said it so beautiful last week because it's the word of God. She said be careful when people talk, speak good things about you all the time. Pastor Clinton said, he said if you're doing the right thing and being the right pastor in the community, he said you'll be the, love, you'll be the most loved pastor and the most hated at the same time. That's the God's honest truth. You'll be the most loved by some. You'll be the most hated by others. Amen. Let me tell you, the old is gone and the new has come. There was a noticeable difference to the substance. It was no longer water. Now it's wine. I said there was a change. And it was a miracle. Amen. They didn't try to water it down. They didn't try to say, oh, well, what happened? They didn't try to do none of that. No, they just drank of the wine and they were thankful for the wine. We have so many problems now. Well, there's no way that God could still do that. You know, we got to do this, and we got to go through this process, and we got to do all of these things. No, not when Jesus shows up, and Jesus desires to turn water into wine. Let me tell you, the Holy Ghost unsaid, he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change my God. Let me tell you, if Jesus desires to show up tonight and come to your house and turn water, into wine my God he can still do it hallelujah he can still do it there was no mixture there is so many mixtures in our personal lives and we brought it into the church and now we don't want to offend it from the pulpit because we may lose money or lose somebody what are we doing we don't want to hurt people's feelings we don't want to and so we've started backing down and we've started mixing the world with the church. When Jesus saves us, he changes us and he gives us a new nature. And check this out, and he gives us new desires. I don't desire what I desired when I was a drunk. I said I don't desire what I desired when I was using meth. I don't wake up every morning wanting to know where my next high is. Amen. I said I don't wake up wondering how I'm going to get it either. 
I don't wake up wondering if I'm going to steal my brother's radio out of his truck so I can go get me $10 piece of meth. I don't, I don't think about those things. I don't think about who I can get over on. I don't think about whatever I got to do to do what I got to do. I don't got to worry about riding a bicycle with two flat tires two miles. But I tell you what I do. I got to wake up now in the morning and know that a, man, that a man's steps are ordered by God. And if I get up in the morning and if I know that my steps are ordered by God, wherever God tells me to go, Brother Buck. However God told you to go, buy that passport. All right, God, your steps were ordered of the Lord. Put it in that drawer. All right, God, I put it in the drawer. Then God said, GFCC will build a church in Columbia. God said, now go. Are you hearing me tonight, church? I said, I don't have to worry because my desires have been shifted. Why? Because they turned water into wine and the substance of the new wine has changed my life from the inside to the outside. Now when I wake up in the morning, all I got to know, I thank God for this day. Now God, tell me where to walk. Tell me where to go. Tell me when to speak. Tell me when to preach. Tell me when to sing. My God, I'll walk with you, God. I said our desires change. Our nature changes. I don't look to the old ways. I don't look how I can get over on somebody. No, because that changes. The old is gone, the new has come. My steps are now ordered of the Lord. Why are we so busy? Why do we in the church bring the water into the wine? Why are we trying to take away? Why are we trying to take away what the wine offers? The wine is a type of new life. That new wine is a type of new life. I can tell you, you drink wine, it kind of changes the atmosphere. You drink new wine, get drunk in the Holy Ghost, it changes your atmosphere. It changes the atmosphere of everybody around there. We'll get there in a minute, but he said they saved the best wine till last. Let me tell you what, I'm tasting new wine. Amen. I believe we're in the last days. I said, and he's about to shift and turn things upside down. What you came to drink water ain't going to be water very long. I said, it's about to be new wine. New wine changes the atmosphere. New wine changes the dimensions of things. They were ready for the new wine. They were ready for wine. My God, it came. It came. Why aren't we trying to take away? Why aren't we trying to water down the new wine in the church? That's not what God desires. I can tell you it changes the atmosphere. You know what a lot of us like to do? Tone the atmosphere down. Let's water it down a little bit. Let's water it down just a little bit. Let's just tone things down just a little bit. You know what we started doing? We started backing away. We started a mixture. Now let me tell you what I'm fixing to say. I'm not getting on and I'm not bragging on us and I'm not taking away from anybody else. But I heard, another, I heard another story this week of a man that loves God with all of his heart. All of his heart, he loves God. And the church he attends, he said, I never thought I would see this day. He said, I never thought I would see this day. And if you're here tonight and you attend a church that does this, I'm not ridiculing anybody. But he said, they just quit having Sunday night service. And he said, I never thought I would see this day that my church would do that. You know what they're doing? Well, you know what they hear? You know what the pastor hears? Well, it's just too much on our family. Well, it's just too hard. Well, it just costs too much. 
Well, we come and don't, don't nobody, nobody come anyway. Are we there for people? We there for God? I remember when this was a Baptist church. It wasn't but twelve. We lost six, and now we're down to six. Didn't nobody come Sunday morning either? But God still came. I said, God still came, and as long as you keep coming, God will keep coming. But I can't follow the world and say, well, nobody's there, so God told me to come here. I can tell you it would rain a drop. We wouldn't have service. And I remember being that new pastor here, and I remember God telling me, son, don't you cancel a service. It wasn't on nobody else. It wasn't on them six. It was on me now because God appointed me to come to this church. He said, I don't care what the weather is. Unless it'll put somebody in danger, he said, you better not cancel another service. And so I just remember that, that was the direction of God. Now let me tell you, I'm not accountable to any of y'all for that because that was the direction the Holy Ghost gave me. And guess what? It hadn't changed. And it hadn't changed because everybody else around here is doing it. I said it hadn't changed because that's what great church growth leadership tells you to do. No, it hadn't changed. None of that shifts the divine direction of God. Are you hearing me? I said none of that changes divine direction of God. When God speaks, you're accountable to what God says. But I said this the other day. Many of us don't want to hear what God says because we truly don't want to be accountable to that. God always gives divine direction. Here's what the church wants to do, and here's what we've done. We've watered the church down. We've watered the wine down because wine changes the atmosphere. Anybody ever drank too much wine? <laughs> I have. You get out of control. Amen. You know what people don't like? They don't like losing control. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I said people don't like losing control. Well, I can't control them people. I can't control that preacher. He's governed by God. I can't control that worship team. I can't tell them what songs I want to sing. Well, they don't sing out of the red back. Well, they don't sing out of the blue back. They don't sing out of the yellow back. You know what? They're not worried about what you want them to sing. You don't determine their destiny, and you don't control them. Boy, people don't like that. I want them to sing what I want them to sing. I want them to preach what I want them to preach. You know, so people get mad. They want to water down the wine. You know why? Because you drink too much wine, you'll lose control. People don't want to lose control. I want to control that house. Are you with me? I don't know if I'm making any sense to anybody. I don't want to lose control. I want to be able to dictate. That's what religion does. I want to be able to dictate everything. We have in the church brought in a mixture to the church. Are we supposed to allow it to continue or is God calling people to stand up one more time? Let me tell you, in this hour we're living in, and Marty, you just helped me the other night. The church is more medicated than the world. You know it? We are. We don't trust the Lord anymore for anything. You said it the other day. I'd rather hurt and feel my God's presence than I had numb the pain in my life. Is that what you said? I can tell you the church world, you know why the Holy Ghost didn't move in and revival ain't broke out? Because the church is numb. We've numbed the church. Now listen to me. That's I'm, fixing to, I'm probably fixing to get on some toes. But just hear me out for a minute. 
When you can't feel emotions, you can't worship God. And I know there's medication. I've been on medication myself. I, I understand. Listen to me. But if you got a son or a daughter or you got somebody that's wide open, my little lake is wide open. Sometimes you want to just calm him down. You say, well, put a belt on his behind. I do. I feel bad sometimes. I feel terrible. But he's a boy. Sometimes I'll feel bad. We go to a church somewhere else and I'll say, he's a boy. Let him be a boy. But the moment that something arises, we run to a doctor. I can tell you this because I did it. I did it. I did it, all right? So I'm not knocking anybody. I had issues. My mom and daddy went through a divorce. I blamed them for my meth addiction. I told them it was their fault. I blamed them for everything. So what did they do? They wanted to start patching things up for Jared. Well, let's get him off drugs. Let's send him to a psychiatrist. I went and seen a psychiatrist. If you got a psychiatrist, praise God. I'm not, I'm not condemning them either. But I can tell you, psychiatrists can't do what the Holy Ghost can do. I can tell you the psychiatrist can't do what new wine can do in one moment. New wine changes the atmosphere of everything. New wine is a type of a new life. It's not bland. It changes the atmosphere. It changes the dimensions. I'm trying to get to my next point. But the church is numb. And so we don't worship. The church is numb so we don't repent. What's there to repent of? I don't feel anything. I don't feel any conviction, so why would I repent? I'm just here, and I'm just a churchgoer. I don't weep. I'm not, I'm not even sad about anything. Let me tell you, I don't like a lot of things that I feel. If there's 31 days in a month, probably 30 and a half of them, I hate how I feel. If I were to determine if I'm even saved by how I feel, 31 days. And if you knew how I felt, you would say, he's not even saved. Because I don't feel saved. I feel pain. I feel burdens. I feel your burdens. I feel my burdens. I feel my son's burdens, my children's burdens, my wife's burdens. I feel pain. I feel the world's burdens. I see the church's burden. And I'm burdened down. And I don't feel saved. I feel pain. I feel hurt. And I'm like, God. God. You know why people don't want to carry a cross? Because they don't feel nothing. I can tell you, you don't feel saved a lot of days. You know why people walk away from God once the high's gone? You know why the other day, James, I was like, if you'll just make it through these next few days, you'll be all right. You're not here for her. You're not here for her. You're here to bear a cross, brother. You're here to die to James. You're not here to get a marriage back, get a daughter back, get a family back. You're here to carry a cross, brother. But we won't tell somebody that. Now you're here, you're going to get her back if you come. You may not. You may not. But can you bear your cross? We've lied to the church. We've told them it don't cost anything. 
and we've just become content with the church being numb. I'm not okay with that because the Bible calls it witchcraft. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. If you look up the Greek word of witchcraft, it is pharmakia. And if you look up what pharmakia is, it is the use or the dealing of pharmaceutical drugs. I didn't say that. You can take it up with the Holy Ghost. If I had a big screen and a red pointer, I would do that right now. Facebook Live, I give you the hand. <laughs> Look it up. We've numbed the church and we don't repent. What if we just got back where everybody was carrying their cross and Simons were coming out of the crowd and helping Rafe carry his cross because it got too heavy? Carla, you couldn't go another day and you said, my God, I need somebody to help me carry this load. I can't do it today. I just can't do it today. You ever just woke up one day and said, I don't want to be a Christian today. I don't know if I can carry this cross. You ever just done that? But then somebody comes alongside and says, no, we're going, boy. You don't have a choice. He didn't give us an option out. He said, you don't have a choice but to carry a cross. I can tell you there's one way out, and it's hell. It's hell. Ask Judas. Ask Judas. You want a way out? Take it. Somebody else will take your place. Matthias will, and he's a gift of Yahweh. He's a gift of Yahweh. Now listen, I'm, I'm not here for debate tonight, I'm telling you. The church has become so double-minded. Listen to me. So double-minded. I'll just read this to you. Galatians 5, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. But the fruit of the Spirit, you go on. Now here's what I'm talking about. Witchcraft, pharmakia. Anything that alters the mind. Some people may have to be here and be on a blood pressure medicine. I can tell you, God can heal that. That's not, I'm talking about anything that alters the mind. Study it. If it's mind altering, well, it calms them down. Well, it does this. Well, it does that. It fixes them right. It makes them not feel. I was on it. And I didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel a thing. Listen, I believe God wants to set somebody free tonight. I believe this. I'm not, I'm not preaching hellfire and damnation. I'm preaching this to set the church free tonight. My heart, I hope that you hear my heart. It is to bring freedom tonight. We have allowed such a mixture in and we put our stamps of approval. The book of James said we have become double-minded and we wonder, we wonder. I said we wonder. Here's what the Word says. Amen. James chapter 1. It says this, it's, verse 8, it says, well, let's back up to verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
How many of us are wanting to receive something from the Lord, but you just hadn't yet? Maybe your mind is double-minded and you're wavering and you can't even see God for who He is. Can you hear what the preacher is saying tonight? That the enemy has come in this hour. We're closer than we've ever been for the return of Christ. Jesus is about to show up on our seashore. And if we're so confused and so distorted in our view, then let me tell you, will we see Christ for who He is? We don't really see Him for who He is. I'm not preaching a mean God tonight. I'm preaching a Christ that desires to make us free. He desires to make us free. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You cannot even walk right because you're unstable in all of your ways. Amen? The book of Revelation chapter 3. Check this out. Verse 14 says this, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know thy works. And thou art neither hot nor cold, I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or vomit thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, Tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye that thou mayest see. Are you still with me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now listen, here's what he's saying. The Laodicean city was known for three major things. It had a vast and wealthy banking system, a New Testament Wall Street, you could say. It had a huge textile industry whose specialty was black wool cloth. It had a large and famous medical school, which was famous for an ISAV that the world would have known and called it Solarium. All three of these things they were famous for and proud of are used by God to address the church's spiritual needs. Laodicea had one serious flaw, no natural water supply nearby. So they constructed aqueducts to bring water to the city from two sources from distance, some distance from them. Six miles in one direction was Hierapolis, which had hot mineral waters. These waters were used for their healing properties and medicine baths. As the water flowed across the aqueducts and across the plateaus of the cliffs of Laodicea, it started to cool, losing its heat and healing power. Somebody hear me. <laughs> By the time it reached Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. Six miles in the other direction was another water source called the Springs of Denizil, where icy cold water flowed. As it traveled across the aqueducts and plateaus, it became lukewarm and picked up lime in the six-mile journey, making it poisonous. It became toxic, and if anyone drank it, they became sick. 
a new visitor to the city having traveled the hot plains would be seeking would be seen taking a big gulp of water from a fountain expecting cold refreshment only to be surprised by the lukewarm water and they could be seen be seen spitting it out in disgust the message in this statement by god was obvious to them so because you were lukewarm neither hot nor cold i'm about to spit or vomit you out of my mouth lukewarm christianity neither brings healing to the spiritually sick nor refreshment to those who are thirsty for god this scripture could read something like this. Jared, or put your name. I wish you were healing to others or refreshing to others. Do I help people find the healing in their spiritual sickness? Do I offer the refreshing water of life through Jesus to others who are thirsty for living water? Or am I a toxic experience to those who encounter me? Let me tell you, if I'm a toxic Christian, I make God want to vomit me out of his mouth. Let me tell you, I desire to bring refreshing and healing. I always thought, you know what, that was just one way or another. But let me tell you, there was a reason and a purpose that Jesus said that if you be hot nor cold but lukewarm, I will spew you out of my my mouth. Amen. Let me tell you, I desire for my life, amen, to be one that would stand in the gap in this hour and stand up. Let me tell you what, let somebody say something about me. My God, let them say something. We received a message the other day, oh, you go to that church where they snatch devils out. Let me tell you, I'd much rather be known of a church that prays and believes that demons are still cast out. You lay hands on the sick in Columbia and tumors are still healed. That people that are bound by drug addiction are still set free that people can't understand how they got out of the mess that they were in there was so many lawyers there was so many charges but let me tell you I'd rather be known as that place let me tell you God in this hour greater than ever needs somebody that'll stand in the gap Ezekiel chapter 22 22 verse 30 he said this in these words he said and I sought for a man among them that should make up a hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy my God but I found none let me tell you read that whole chapter you'll see where Jerusalem was in sin where the prophets weren't speaking for God where people had brought sin into the promised city of God let me tell you God said I need a man that'll stand up in the church one more time he said but I couldn't find one let me tell you tonight church I stand tonight in this platform on that pulpit and I come to declare the word of the Lord. God needs a man. God needs a woman that'll stand in the gap in this hour like never before. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Come on, church. Read all of Ezekiel chapter 22. You'll see they tried to water down what God had planned and destined for Jerusalem. He said, I need a man. He said, her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hadn't even spoken. Read it. God said, I need a man to deal with a false prophet. But he couldn't find one. I need a man that will stand up for holiness, for righteousness, for the truth. I need a church that will stand in the gap. Let people say what they say. Let people do what they do. Now let me tell you, I'm not just up here just saying that. I'm telling you, when all hell comes, it's not easy. I'm telling you, I confessed it a while ago. 30 and a half days out of 31, if there's 31, I don't feel saved. I don't feel like a pastor. 
Nobody likes to be talked about, ridiculed. Let me tell you, in this world we're living in, people aren't going to accept you. People aren't going to accept you. You're too much for them. Y'all are quiet on me tonight. Come on now, don't go to sleep on me. Don't go to sleep on me. You're too radical for them. Holy Ghost, talking in tongues. What? Tongue talker. What is that? I was told Jesus fulfilled that. Had somebody in my face about three weeks ago. What, what was that mumbling you were doing? What was that? Jesus fulfilled that, didn't he? I'm telling you, that's what the world is going to do. They're going to want to fight you. They're going to get in your face. They're, they're going to hate you. What are we going to do in that moment? What are we going to do when we're hated? What are we going to do when people get in our face? And they start talking and reviling against the very thing that has saved our life, that has spared our life. What are we going to do? I can tell you we're there. We are there. We're living it right now. I said we're living it. We're in it right now. God needs a man and a woman that will stand in the gap just one more time. He said, I, I pleaded for a man, but I didn't find one. I'm trying to hurry, y'all. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, I'm going to read this out of the NIV. I'm starting verse 25. And it says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. Let me just back up a little bit, if, and I encourage you, I'm just kind of taking some things out, but I encourage you to read Ezekiel 22. Go back and check what I'm reading to you. Uh, if you don't have the blue letter Bible, if you want to look up the Greek word for witchcraft and see if it's pharmakia, I encourage you to do that. I'll help you. I promise I'll help you. I won't just leave you hanging, okay? I'm just preaching right now. I won't leave you hanging. So I encourage you to back up and look to it, Ezekiel, I mean Exodus chapter 8, and there was a plague frogs and gnats and flies and so you know even stuff like that even affects the enemy you know so Pharaoh was tired of this plague all around him and so here, here's two godly men they're in the land of Egypt what do we know Egypt as the land of bondage or a type of the world okay now you can look at this Pharaoh as a type of the enemy a type of Satan um you, you see when you cross over into the book of Exodus, they said, I believe there in verse one, chapter 1 or 2, he said there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. The Joseph, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph gave favor. He was a good Pharaoh. He was a good, good on that side, good enemy, I guess you could say. God used him. But this Pharaoh, the word of God said, he knew not Joseph. And so this Pharaoh was, was, was wicked and evil, okay? But he wanted the plagues off of him. And so here is two godly men, Moses and Aaron, and they said, we've got a sacrifice to our God. And Moses said, and, and Pharaoh said, all right, you can sacrifice to your God, but you're going to do it here in the land. You're going to do it in Egypt. Don't that sound like a mixture to you and I? You can worship God, but you're going to do it in the world. You're going to do it in Egypt. 
You're not going to get free in the land of Canaan. You're going to worship right here in Egypt. And I can tell you that's exactly what the enemy is doing more than I've ever seen him do it in this hour that we're living in. He's doing all that he can do for the church of Jesus Christ to be a church of compromise. Well, just compromise here, compromise there. He wants us to be a church of compromise. So when the world comes in and lost people come in, well, they can continually live how they want to live. When we were way back, when we started and we called ourselves Cowboy Church, we were moving, that was kind of the fad thing. We were talking about that the other day. And our little slogan was, come as you are. And I remember being just when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and I remember God coming to me and said, you better get that off there because people think they can come as they are and stay as they are. He said, but I don't allow that. He said, you can come as you are, but you're going to leave different. You got to leave different. And so here's the thing. Here's what the enemy's constantly doing. He's trying to yoke us up. Well, you can worship God, but you're going to do it in bondage. You ever felt like you come to church and you were in bondage? Felt like, I want to worship God, but I'm in Egypt today. And the enemy says, it'll be okay. You ever been by somebody and you said, and they, they, were, they were maybe your Egypt? You know what I'm talking about? Well, they just didn't worship how you worship. And so the enemy says, you're going to worship today, but you're not going to get crazy like you did the other day. Look who's next to you. And you know what? That person next to you probably needs you to get them out of Egypt. They're waiting on you to get in Canaan, but you're, they're in Egypt, and they're just waiting on somebody to worship. But I can tell you, they're dictating your worship. I don't think y'all have ever been there before. It's quiet on a Wednesday night in here. And that person's over there just shaking because they know they're in bondage, and they're probably just waiting on somebody to turn loose. But their bondage is affecting your Canaan. You can worship God, but you're going to do it in Egypt. That's not what God is saying for you and I. I said, there's got to be a church in this hour. My heart is stirred. There's got to be a church in this hour that won't mix things. that don't know where we got to get, that won't allow the enemy to disturb and distort divine direction from God. But Moses said, verse 26, Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as He commands us. And if you look back in, in Exodus chapter 5, he, he commanded them and He said, Go three days into the wilderness and sacrifice to your God there. Divine direction from God. Now what is the enemy doing? He's trying to water that down. <laughs> Isn't the enemy always trying to water down divine direction from God? Y'all bear with me. I know I'm saying a lot. Verse 27, we must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. What a devil. <laughs> Anybody, you ever just heard somebody, you ever just had a devil? 
When I read that in the NIV, I almost wanted to throw up because I can just hear the devil. You can worship God, but don't you get out of my sight. Now you pray for me. Like you deserve to be prayed for, but guess what Moses did? Oh, Moses, I tell you, he had a lot of grace. Guess what he did? He prayed for Pharaoh. And guess what? The plagues never bothered him. My God, is that not grace? What a God to show favor to Pharaoh like that. I mean, God answered that. Go on and read it a little bit further. That's not where we're going. But isn't it just like the devil to try to dictate somebody's worship? Isn't that just like the enemy? I can tell you what the enemy has come to do in this hour. The first thing to mix it. The second thing to minimize our God. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to minimize his God. God gave divine direction in Exodus chapter 5. Now Moses said, well, i got to go three days journey. And Pharaoh, the enemy, said, no, you're not getting away from me. Now you pray for me. You can go sacrifice. I know it's detestable, but don't get too far from me. You know what the enemy was wanting to do? He's wanting to keep his hands on his worship. Don't you get out of control now. (laughs) Hey, you had them hands up too high. Get them hands down. Oh, Pharaoh's leaning over that ear and said, don't you know where you was at last night? (laughs) Don't you know the way your marriage is right now? You don't better not lift up your hands today. Don't you know your children aren't saved? Don't you know they're playing games? Don't you know they're here and they're there? Don't you know they're just playing games? You better not go to that altar again. How many times are you going to keep going to the altar for your children? If God ain't heard you now, you think he's ever going to hear you? The enemy's trying to control our worship. He's trying to minimize our God. And he's trying to just squash him. He's trying to minimize. Here's what the word minimize means. To reduce something to the smallest possible amount or degree. Represent at less, at least, than the true value or importance. Isn't that just what the enemy does? He comes to minimize. He's come to say, well, it really ain't that important to go to prayer meeting on Sunday night. It really ain't that important. So guess what happened? So we quit coming to prayer meeting on Saturday night. Now guess what? Now what the people's doing is done got in the pastor's mind. Well, maybe it ain't that important to come to prayer meeting on Sunday night. Nobody comes anyway. Ain't important to them. It's not important to me. So let's just shut church down on Sunday night. You can sacrifice your God, but don't get crazy. Don't you know that everybody else don't have church on Sunday night? Don't you know that everybody else lets out at 12 o'clock and is eating lunch? And aren't you going to miss all of that? Don't you think you're getting a little carried away? Aren't y'all getting a little carried away building a church in Columbia? Don't you think that's a little too much? Don't you think it's a little too much that y'all speak in tongues and you're known as that church that snatches devils out of people and y'all sing for an hour before the preacher ever gets up there and when that loudmouth young used to be meth addict gets up there and preaches, he don't know what he's talking about anyway and then he wants to holler and scream for an hour and a half. Don't you think that's a little too much? <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody ever heard that around here? Do I need to wave the flag? It's a little too much for we Tump, Alabama to hold, ain't it? A little too much. Don't turn red on me, Carl. Wave the flag. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
Ain't it too much that you would stay here when your best friends left, Miss Virginia? That's too much. You surely should go with them, huh? You see, the enemy's always said, it's too much that you would, you know, give up basketball coach. That's what you've always wanted to do, give up being a world champion bullfighter. Ain't that too much, Ray? Surely God understands. You can be a mixture in there. You can go worship and sacrifice right there, but don't get too far from me. That's what the enemy is doing. He's minimizing our God and he's bringing a mixture. He is reducing who our God really is. He is trying to reduce our God. He is trying to reduce what the cross produced. He is doing his best to reduce what the cross produced. What did the cross produce? Death. But then three days later, life. What did the cross produce? Sacrifice. Blood. A mess. We've tried to make something in the church. We've tried to make the cross pretty. It's not pretty. It's beautiful. But it's not pretty. We've tried to make it attractive. But let me tell you, whenever you preach the cross to some, it is the smell of life. But others, it is the smell of death. So the enemy has come to minimize who our God is. Did not Isaiah say and prophesy that we would come to this day where we would call good evil and evil good? Are we not living in this day? Can I tell you that the enemy is doing everything that he can do to reduce our God? He's doing everything that he can do to minimize and reduce who he really is and to make him less than the true value or importance that he should really be. Well, I'll serve God on Sunday, but I'm not going to worship him on Monday. I'll live how I want to live, and I'll show back up maybe two Sundays from now. We've come so sporadic. Here's what many say. Let me just tell you this. I just need to say this, okay? is your sacrifice is detestable to them. Your sacrifice, Michaela, to give up what you've worked your whole life for, it is detestable to the world. It don't make sense. They're like, what? What? Or to you, Ray, gave up all that money. What? I mean, good people. Good people. When you wrote that letter, how many years ago? Two or three? I'm just using you right there. You know, two or three years ago, some people didn't accept your offer. No. It is detestable. Can I tell you the way that God is calling you and I to serve the Lord? It is detestable to some people. And you know what they begin to say? They try to reduce and minimize who our God really is. So here's what they begin to say. You're just being legalistic. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> then they'll say, oh, you're just a part of that cult over there. <laughs> You're part of them crazy people. <laughs> you don't have to be that serious about it. You don't have to quit doing that. You can still do this. We're living in that day. We're living in that day where the enemy is doing his best to determine that our destiny would be veered off and that we would follow him. He's doing his best to shrink our God. Brother Ray, if you want to come. To minimize our God. Pharaoh, you can, here's what Pharaoh said. You can worship, but you're going to do it here in this land. 
He wants to mix worldliness with worship, but it don't work that way. The third thing that the enemy is doing his best to do is manipulate, as I just said, our destiny. The word manipulate means to alter it, to handle it, or control or influence, typically in a skillful manner. Doesn't that sound like a devil to you? He tries to handle your destiny. He tries to control or influence you in certain ways in a skillful manner. Go worship and sacrifice, but don't you get too far from me. Now pray for me. It's just like the devil to turn around and say, pray for me. Or it's just like a devil to come to you and use scripture to try to tell you where you're just being legalistic. You don't have to take him that serious, do you? It's just like the enemy. Now if we look back at our text in John chapter 2, verse 10, verse 11. saith unto him every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine and when men have well drunk then that which is worse but thou hast kept the good wine until now this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him here's what God is calling you and I to do to manifest forth his glory Manifested forth means in the Greek to declare, to make apparent, to make known, to show openly, or to make fully known. God is calling you and I to declare the works of the Lord. That Jesus Christ still turns water, still turns wine from water. He still turns things, He still performs miracles. He still changes lives. And he's called you and I to show forth his glory. There's a lot of great men and women that have died before you and I. We hold on to many things. David Wilkerson, Smith Wigglesworth, B.H. Clinton. And we love all of these people. And we still glean to their teachings and to their words. But let me tell you something, church. They're not here now. The same revelation that God gave B.H. Clendenin is the same God that's going to give Rafe Lamb revelation. It's the same God. The same God that gives leadership wisdom to pastor a church is going to give you and I wisdom to lead churches. Thank God that we have these people in our life to govern and navigate. Thank God we don't have to do this alone. But the Lord has chosen you and I for such a time as this. And he's saying, I look for a man or a woman to stand in the gap, but I found none. Is there any here tonight that God could raise up and say, I'll stand in the gap. I'll stand in the gap. And I'll do it without a mixture. I'll do it even when people try to minimize my God. I'll tell them exactly why we go to the world. Because his word says, I'll tell them exactly why I gave up basketball. Because Jesus told me to. I know it don't make sense to you. It never will. 
but you're not me. It will never make sense that God called me to Grittany Baptist Church to pastor a church. It will never make sense to me, but he did. And it may not make sense to others. It probably didn't make sense when God brought Rafe and Carly back here, but he did. And the way that we have to serve God, people aren't going to understand it. Angie, I can see where the enemy always has tried to dictate your worship because he's afraid of you. He's afraid of your call. And so he's always tried to navigate and minimize the call in your life. Everything that I said tonight, I can see where the enemy has done that to you. He's minimized. Well, you don't have to take it that serious. <laughs> he's stuck. And he wants to win. But it's not just you. It's all of us here. It's all of us here. That's what he does. You worship, but I'm going to keep my hand on you. Now pray for me. Like he's a good devil. Come on, somebody. Like he's a good devil. Wants you to pray for him. He's not a good devil. He's not a good devil. He's not a good Pharaoh. He's not. He's not. If you find it in your heart to pray for that evil Pharaoh, then do it. But he's not for you. The devil's not for you. If you need to pray for the devil to get off somebody's back, do it. Pray the plagues off of them. But they may not be good for you. You may not need them in your life. Are you hearing me tonight? Now here's what God needs. I'm going to close with this scripture. I hope I help somebody, not hurt. Devil's on me. Judges chapter 11. This guy Jephthah very rarely ever spoke about. But he may be one of my greatest heroes in the whole Bible. And perhaps maybe he'll be one of yours. Verse 29 of Judges 11. Jephthah was a man that was rejected by his brothers. They kicked him out of their house. His mother was a harlot. All of his other brothers had the same mom, and he didn't, so he was not as important as the others, so they kicked him out. But then there was a war that came, and so all of a sudden, now the elders ran to Jephthah, and they said, we need you now. He was like, really? You need me now? My brothers hate me because my mom's a harlot. Now all of a sudden, you need me. So he got up, and he went, and guess what? He won the war. He said, I'll go fight, and I'll be your leader. I'll be your leader, but I'm going to do it on my terms, not yours, because y'all done kicked me out one time. And so when he said, I'll do it, then they put him as the leader. And here's verse 29. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. That's the Holy Ghost, <laughs> capital S. There's very few prophets. There's very few people that you'll see the Holy Ghost came upon them in the Old Testament. Capital S, that's the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh 
and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. And he said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whosoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. What did he say he would give for a burnt offering? Somebody tell me, what did he say? He said, whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return, that will I give as a burnt offering. Verse 32, Then so Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aror, even till thou came to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, and very in a very great slaughter. This the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with the timbrel and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. And I cannot go back. How many of us tonight have made promises to God, but we went back on them? Anybody here ever done that? And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away, she with her companions, and bewailed her virginity. And it came to pass at the end of two months. He gave her up. She was pure, she was a virgin, and he had to just give her up. Now imagine how many of us have made vows to God. When we got born again, what did we tell God? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. And many of us just laid our lives down on the line. But God gave us victory after victory after victory. Imagine Jephthah coming in after winning the war and the first thing that runs out of his door is that little girl with a tambourine. His only child. His only child. I bet she ran to her daddy and jumped up in her hands and she was playing the tambourine. And he knew the moment she stepped out of that door, he said, my God. Not her. You think that in a moment, listen to me, you think that the enemy didn't come and try to put a little mixture in right there and say, God didn't mean her. 
Hear me now. God didn't mean her. Then don't you think that the enemy probably came and said, God would never ask you and try to minimize this God. God didn't really mean for you to take it that serious, the first thing. So then we start throwing dice and we say, well, let's see what else comes out next. Maybe it won't cost me as much. And that's what many of us have done. If we've not taken into consideration Ecclesiastes chapter 5, that when you go into the house of the Lord, be very careful about what you open up your mouth and say that you will do. Let the anointing move. Let the new wine flow. Boy, we'll start telling God all kind of promises we'll do. But very few of us truly uphold what we told God we would do. Are we willing tonight to be Jephthah's? Because let me tell you, that woman, that little girl, had an opportunity to see Christ. What does she say? No, Daddy, if you told God that, then you got to do it. Imagine if our children could look to us one day and said, No, Daddy, you told God. You told God. You would go. You better go. You told God. What do you think, like, getting ready to go to Africa right now? Man, this thing is just like trying to paralyze everybody. A friend of ours, he's at Pastor Lee's church, Noah Middleton. He was in Dubai Airport today. They're traveling to Pakistan. And he said, look around. There was nobody in the airport. Nobody's doing anything. Everybody is frozen in fear. But we told God we would go. We told God we're yours. We told God we would serve you. You told God you wouldn't go back to your addictions. You told God you would serve him. You told God you would carry a cross. You told God you wouldn't go back. You told God you'd give him your children. You told God in your marriages you'd serve God together. We told God. We said to God, but yet is there not a mixture in our lives? Well, God really didn't see me in that, did he? God did. God did. Young people, God means what you said at youth camp. God means, hear me tonight, God means what you told him at youth camp. You just were moved in your emotions, but you opened your mouth and you told God things. You told God you'd serve Him. May have been at youth camp, you still opened your mouth. Guess what God's going to do? He's going to hold you to what you said. How 16 years old at the J-Strat crusade, I said, God, I'll serve you. Guess what God held me to? You'll serve me. I told God, God, I didn't know it would cost this. He said, it does. Would you stand? Is there any Jephthahs here tonight? That you would say, I made vows to God, and I got to keep them.